Anyway, welcome everybody to Filmed Chats episode two with Jamie Adams, Craig Roberts, and myself, Craig Hayworth. Um, today we're kind of going to talk to Jamie Adams about his film career, his film process, and also how to sort of fund a film because he's had. I, I like to call Jamie a sort of prolific filmmaker, and he's uh, because he's created all of his opportunities, uh, which has been really inspiring. I think uh, looking from the outside in, uh, I have had actually the luxury of working with Jamie uh, briefly, so that's been great and see some of his process. But uh, but yes, yeah, so he's one great thing that he's been able to do in his career is sort of not wait for the phone to ring. He's been able to sort of create his own work and not wait for opportunities and consistently as well and because of his grinding and hard work i believe that he's sort of working his way through the ranks and he's uh, been biffer nominated and he's got his latest film in the lff as well so yeah J- uh, craig would you like to add anything about jamie nothing to add about jamie ever nothing good to say uh yeah i yeah i'm a massive fan of jamie's um and it felt right to get him on for this episode because episode or rather this chat, um, because la- uh, the last one we did, somebody asked me a question of how I fund my films or where I get the funding from. And I, I kind of didn't have any great answers. I felt that um, I've done it the traditional route and Jamie's the complete opposite. He's kind of created his own system and his own industry, I think. Um, so it feels good to have him on. And yeah, you know, I've been uh, friends with Jamie for a long time now and seen him make, you know, numerous films. And um, I'm just, uh, yeah, I think it's so impressive how he does it. So I'd, lo- I'd love to hear more about it, really. Great. Well, uh, Jamie, thank you so much for joining us and welcome. No worries. Thanks very much. Uh, why don't you tell us, uh, for those who don't know, a little bit about you and a little bit what sort of work you've been working on? Uh, well, I'm an independent filmmaker. have been for... <laughs> well, I, I uh, graduated film school in... So that was 21 years ago. Um, that was International Film School in, in Wales, in Newport. Um, and then uh, just, I suppose, you were told back then that you had to go into the industry um, to kind of keep learning throughout your 20s. So I went into uh, camera assisting on BBC dramas um, initially, uh, and then I found that I wasn't too, wasn't too kind of happy with the way in which the the army like system of, of a crew works uh on a bbc production especially um and so found myself going into into the edit uh specifically because in the cutting room everything is much more um respectful um you know people immediately are, are impressed that you're there as a as an editing trainee and uh, you know, they, they, everything's less stressful and they want your opinion. They, they talk to you more. So you've got producers and, and directors um, that are actually asking your opinion on the work that they're creating. So I, that, that's then kind of what I did throughout my, um, my 20s is, uh, is assistant edited on, on feature films and, and high-end TV drama, um, which is always another great, you know, it's, it's a great way, as they say, of, of kind of, you know, the more filmmakers you can talk to, the more kind of storytellers you can be involved with on a day-to-day, the better it's going to be for you moving forward, not just in a networking way, but from a, from a creative sort of point of view. So, so I did that. um, And then as I was approaching 30, uh, by this point, I I was married with two children. Um, Mm -hmm. 
I kind of, my wife kind of turned to me and said, well, if you're going to, you know, if you're going to turn this short films and web series that I was, that I was working on in my spare time, you can turn that into a living, then you're going to have to find a way of making, you know, commercial feature films, not these art house kind of short films. Um, and then that kind of, then I started to think about what it is that I enjoyed about film school. And it was, it, it was working with actors. It was, it was the, the, you know, and working in an improvised way. I, I, I studied with Ken Russell and Peter Greenaway and Mike Lee. And it was, it was through all of that kind of, through the interaction with those artists really that, you know, it was kind of, I, that was what I appreciate. I didn't appreciate the writing on my own situation. I didn't appreciate necessarily storyboarding. Um, anything that was collaborative, anything that brought me together with people that were much more, well, you know, kind of, I'm, I'm a very shy guy, actually. So people are much more confident, much more kind of full of stories and willing to share those. And then that would bring me out of my shell and, and share my stories and, um, and then creating those stories together. So, so I started to piece it together that it was something to do with working intensively with actors that I wanted to do. Uh, and I really appreciate comedy. I knew, I, I believed that I knew what was funny. I, I didn't necessarily believe that I could sit on, you know, on my own and, and write something that was funny, but I could certainly come up with situations that uh, comic actors that, that, you know, funny people would find interesting to explore and perhaps, you know, by this point I was very confident with editing, of course, because I'd had a lot of experience with that. And I could see how you can manipulate things within the edit that were meant to be dramatic to be funny. Um, so I just kind of combined all these things together that I'd picked up along the way and just put my mind to making sure this was in like, I think this was around about sort of December, 2011. So I was 31. I, I somehow said to myself, September, 2012, I'm going to make a feature film. Interesting. Okay, well, you've hit on a lot of stuff there. I would definitely want to talk about. It's awesome. Um, so, uh, so your first film was it? Benny and Jolene was the feature film. Okay, and so, so before, before that, there was yeah, the one thing I made sure I did when I um, left film school because I was yeah, first of all pre-film school. It was uh, a course at Royal Holloway that they like to call media arts, but that was film and television production. Um, and we had some really good tutors there. Gideon Koppel was one of them who did a film called Sleep Furiously that is one of the all-time amazing uh, documentaries. Um, and I really, he was one of the ones that kind of, um, well, he got me to work with Mike Lee for a few days. There was only a certain amount of us that were able to, and that really did have an effect on me. But, but the one thing he said to do was always to keep practicing, just like with anything in life. I always find it so bizarre that a lot of people were calling themselves filmmakers, but they weren't actually making films. Um, and so I made sure that I would at least make one short film a year. I mean, back then we're talking about shooting on film as well. Um, yes, you had DV, mini DV, and we were exploring with that first before we shot on um, the, the Super 16. We didn't see DV as, you know, it felt like something that was just a, a, a toy almost. It didn't feel like something that um, you could use to really make an impact with the people you need to make an impact with. And, you know, if you show them... If you show them a film on uh, on film, shot on film to like the BFI or to BBC Films or you know BBC Wales, even uh, they're used to that. Then they're like they could see you put a lot of a lot of work into being able to shoot on film, and and so that's what we were always killing ourselves to try and do. 
And then I think it was when I went into the International Film School, so in 2004, that I think it's Peter Greenaway who just went, that's rubbish. You know, you're a storyteller. You should just be make, you know, telling stories as often as you can. And if you're not a writer necessarily, then pick up whatever you have to be able to, you know, so mini DV, mm-hmm. you know, was, wasn't, you know, it was, it was still pretty expensive. <clears throat> I mean, the tapes weren't cheap. They're like 15 quid each at the time or something, but it was like much more affordable than shooting on film. Um, so, uh, yeah, so when I graduated my MA in film there, um, I just made sure that when I went home, because uh, I wasn't able to afford to go to London like a lot of my peers did, I was, I was just adamant that I'd always make at least one or two films a year, short films. Um, and I did. Uh, and, then, and then during that process, that led on to when web series became like, mm-hmm. you know, a way to really get, uh, people to watch so like Jesse Armstrong from Peep Show and uh, Ian Morris from In Between Us. They all they wouldn't watch the short films necessarily, but when all I got like a website with like this all shook up kind of is like an Elvis comedy, and they watched that. So let me ask you because you so your first your first film being Ben and Jolene, which I, I'm in and had the pleasure of you know doing that with you. That was cool. Um, for people that don't know Jamie's work, Jamie doesn't really write a script. He writes a scriptment. So um, he will kind of outline what happens in the film, but there's very little dialogue. It's kind of all improvised. Did you know that was going to be your style in film school? So when you did your short films, did were you like, did you have that distinct style already? Like, you, did you improvise those short films or, or did you start writing them and then found your your voice via like Mike Lee or these other practices? Yeah, no, for my, for my graduate film, um, on the BA, I was insisting I was going to do it the Mike Lee way. So there's, there is a book by, uh, I'm to get the name wrong. I think it's Paul Clements. It could be Phil Clements. <laughs> I think it's Paul Clements um, who wrote the book on, it's the closest you're ever going to get to somebody summarizing the Mike Lee method because my, I've, I've no actors since who's done the Mike Lee, been through the Mike Lee method. You do as well, Craig, very much so. But, um, but they all have different, perspectives and opinions on how, how that works so I feel like he changes it up depending on what the, the project is but in my working class mind I wanted to make uh, a Mike Lee film as my graduation film I'm still wearing my at that point you're wearing your, your influences on your sleeve fully so I didn't mind that you know it might end up being a complete rip off or whatever I just wanted to go through that process to figure out if there's anything in that process yeah that um that would work for me and the rehearsals, the creation of the characters with the actors was, was so much fun. The, the rehearsals were amazing. Um, but I was always very frustrated that we weren't shooting what we were rehearsing. Yeah, I liked the idea that you would shoot the rehearsal because you could now, if you're shooting on DV and, and whatever, and, and three chip cameras were coming in with SD cards. So it was like, because that's where the great stuff was happening. And then it, you could just edit all the stuff that didn't work out. I was just like, well, we, this, it was so frustrating. And so that's what I took from there. And then going to the International Film School, that's where I kind of, um, yeah, just kind of kept working through that to see how much of it I wanted to be written, how much of, of it did I want to be in the moment and what the rehearsal kind of time should be like for me and, and, and for that to work. So, so what out of that, 
going through that Michael experience, did you, did you find or take away from that you thought was your own in terms of that process? Cause you do have, like I've been on your sets and it's, it's completely different to every other set. Yeah. Like, well, I think what happened is, is, is um, in my graduation film on the MA was I did it in a very similar way to which we, we now work where I am very active whilst the actors are acting. So I think that the whole directing whilst the camera's turning thing came out of film, those film school experiments. Right. So not saying cut and saying, hold it there, wind it back, now try it like this. So there were elements of the process. Um, that's that, an that American was, thing. Sorry, was, sorry to cross over you. That's an American thing as well, it feels like. The kind of American comedies, the like Jed Apatow comedies are kind of like, you know, directing yeah. what scenes still mm-hmm. happen. But this was like 2004, 2005. I don't think I was. And then there was the the the, the mumblecore stuff um, that I started to watch in like 2006, 2007 onwards. That I really did start to reach out to people like Drake Doremus and Joe Swanberg. And all of those guys seemed to be doing what I was doing in terms of it's it comes out of necessity. You've got you've got friends that are actors. And you have the technology now to be able to shoot them. So just because it's not sophisticated doesn't mean you shouldn't all get together and, you know, create and, and, and tell stories. It wasn't really happening too much over here. I mean, Shane Meadows made Le Donk and Scorsese, a film called Le Donk and Scorsese. Um, and it's an incredible film where he, he just used the resources that they could get hold of to to flesh out a character that, that him and Paddy Considine um, were working on, um, uh, a roadie who had grandiose ideas. Uh, and, and anyway, that film I knew was made for £50,000. And then through just talking to, to various people that were involved in the film, uh, recognised that the amount of money it actually took to make that film, if you take away Paddy's money, Shane's money, Mark Herbert's money, and it's just literally the actors and the crew and the shooting of it. It was about £20,000. So then at that point, you're looking at the mumblecore, you've got, I've got the skills that I've got, I've got the way that I work, so it doesn't involve lots of pre-prepared, you know, ideas of location and, and the type of action and so on. It's just a, a very basic idea of what it is I'd like to explore um, and they're doing it for $15,000 and, and Shane's doing it for £20,000. And so then that's what gave me the, the courage to say, yeah, in September, 2012, I'm, I'm making a feature film and it's going to take five days to shoot. And all I need is about £14,000 what I'd written down on a bit of paper. It's just amazing. Cause like I'd, I'd have a panic attack if I knew I had £14,000 to make something. So <laughs> where does that start like what, i didn't have any money i i didn't have i had a family so i didn't have any money i couldn't put any of my own money in it so at, at that point i throughout the assistant editing days you know the camera assisting going into the assistant editing days keeping in touch with my tutors from from the different courses and, and the ba and the ma um i knew i could pull together enough to be able to go through post-production without paying anything and then I was like, oh, I can get hold of equipment to shoot it without, because I'm not asking for lights. We're shooting it in a very, you know, 
documentary style you know it's french new wave it's grab what you can and 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 shoot wherever you are and as long as as long as you're as long as you're pleased and happy and confident with your cast and with your key uh creatives that i hate that word but your partners uh, collaborators such as your dop and i think i think we had an art director yeah we had an art director of course we did somebody's got to get the props um but literally that's all it was basics it was like mm-hmm. right who have we got around to shoot this who's going to do sound and, and are they willing to come on this, this journey and i mean i was telling i was just bringing people up going you can have a great time and we'll feed you uh if you're doing nothing for five days and we're going to go on a trip in two motorhomes and where wherever anybody says we can go to shoot something we will try and do that and the key example of that is when uh, a friend who was working at this morning studios at ITV on the South Bank said, if you want to be here tomorrow at 1 p.m., you can have a couple of hours shooting in the this morning studios. And it's that old thing, if you build it, they will come. It's like, well, and you've just got to be adaptable. It's like, well, what is a story that I can, you know, what is it something we can create here? A love story always is, is the easy one to follow because you can be anywhere uh, in any location at any time and, and as long as the, their story of falling in love is coming across then that's your story what i found difficult is then having depth to the film in terms of your your b plot your b story your b narrative mm-hmm. because you don't have you don't have time you have five days so yeah so the five the, the, I, I remember this slightly differently and, <laughs> uh, so i remember um the treatment had come through and then I was speaking to my agent and I, and I, I was like, uh, they're like, oh, it's five day shoot. I was like, oh, and, and I think it was, we believed it was a short film. I was like, five days for a short film. That's, a, that's amazing. This is, a, this is interesting. This is a question I want to ask you. Can people ask me how I, how I thought of you and then how I got to you? Because, and this is good for everyone to know, of course, because everyone's like, do you go to agents? Do you go straight to them? All that kind of stuff. At that time, I was all about just approaching people on Facebook or I don't even think Twitter was a thing, but anyway, it was definitely Facebook. And, um, and then I noticed there was a story about you and, and I don't know whether it was a guardian or something that said that you were the next Alan Partridge. And then I realized that you were from the valleys. So I was you, like, you realized I wasn't, I was like, <laughs> I was like, I've got to get in touch with this guy. He's perfect for this lead role opposite Charlotte Ritchie. And I'd already, I'd already gone and met Charlotte Ritchie because I did a short film that one of her friends was in, um, and so she'd seen that. And so she was happy that there was going to be something decent at the end of it all. So, so she was already on. And then I think Rosman Hansen was already on. And then I don't know how I got to you because you, you're saying then I went through your agent, did I? I think it went through my agent, but it, uh, yeah. And we, it's I was not like, like me at all. That's brilliant. I was like, five days shoot for a short film. This sounds amazing. So I was like, yeah, let's do it. So I remember getting on set. I was like, hey, this is very cushy, uh, you know, schedule. It's like, it's a feature film. I was like, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, how is how is this going to be possible? But you did it. You you know you. Well, I you, think we we all did what we could. Is what I say about Benny and Jolene and about any of these endeavors. We did what we could. We were as creative as we possibly could be with the traveling, and especially the traveling was fun because I said to everybody that we were going to be filming. I think I even said something like, we're going to be filming while you're sleeping because <laughs> they're going to be in the motorhome. That was so naive. I was like, yeah, we're going to be filming while you're traveling. It's fine. And then everyone's like, yeah, this is crazy. This sounds great. And then you get everybody in that situation. And immediately the elder, the person that was there, um, saw that we were, we were filming while we were traveling. And he went, oh, no, I thought that was a joke. You definitely can't be filming whilst we're traveling. 
that's all kind of health and safety out the window. <laughs> and, I, and I was just like, we don't have any line producer or anybody telling us what's right or not. What, you know, so I was like, okay, fine, fine. If whatever people weren't happy with, we definitely, we just stopped. We just wouldn't do it. So, so we couldn't now film whilst we were, we were traveling, um, which made, you know, that's a lot of time out of the day because we were ridiculously, as I said, it was like, well, what locations have we got today? And how did you, how did you fight that 14,000? Yeah. So that's a good question. Um, so basically I was, I was, uh, <laughs> I, made, I was, I was putting on a lot of gigs. Uh, I did a lot of music promoting. And one of the things I found with music promoting is very much, you know, if you get the right band, you get the right uh, venue and, and the right time. Um, you know, most people have the money to be able to lose the money. So they put on a gig and they know that if no one comes, they can still pay everybody. I just put on gigs because, and I was like, please God, you know, hopefully they sell. And they, and they did. So that gave me the confidence of, it's the, it's the manifesting thing, isn't it? It's just kind of, I mean, it's also being smart. Like you've got you've to make sure that you've done all the research and you know that a certain band is going to be able to pull a certain crowd in, in our area. Um, so yeah, Crossfingers Touchwood, we, we didn't ever get into a, a sticky situation, but we could have because there wasn't, there wasn't a fallback option. And so this, the situation was the same with this film. It was like, I was telling people, this is what I had, this is what was going to happen. And I'd got early discussions with a friend of mine who was uh, something to do with PR at, or marketing. I don't even know what, what the thing was, but it was at Top Man and at NME. At that point, those two um, companies, they were still in the frame of mind that if you have somebody cool or some cool people like you and Charlotte Ritchie, in a film and like they put some t-shirts on you or the enemy could like, you know, have a, a feature about the film, whatever they were going to fund it. They were going to fund it. They were going to, it was like seven grand each or something that they were going to do. And we are talking the end of, you know, what do we call that era where it's like 2001 onwards to 2010? What's that called? In terms of what generation, the, the, something whatever we call we used to call it the noughties i'll just call it that edit it out noughties um right so basically we got it was getting to the end of that which meant that money was was starting to, there was no money music money had started to disappear so they withdrew their money and i think it was literally a month before we meant to get on the road and so then the enemy was like they took so top man took their money first and enemy took their money and i was on the phone to dolly wells uh she was the the sort of elder statesman in the cast really and she was like don't give up she was like you've got everything in place there must be a way of making this of this making this work um and so it's a miracle to be honest with you what happens next is i was working on a film as an assistant editor and i, I went down for lunch and i was just thinking about how the, how the hell do i get this money Where, have i got any relatives have i got anything you know and um <laughs> My dad has come out with random ideas that weren't going to work. And then I sat down for lunch and this VFX, the head of VFX came and sat next to me. He never sat next to me. This was just like out of nowhere. He sits on the same table as me. And, uh, and I was giving off very sad <laughs> vibes. I was like, I mean, I might even be crying. I was literally just like <laughs> so distraught that my film that I was going to make was now, you know, I'm heading, I'm 32 years old at this point. I'm like, if I don't do it now, it's not going to happen. 
and it seems like it's going to fall apart after getting that cast together, which was a big thing. I was like, how have I got that cast? It didn't make any, any sense. I was like, we must find it. Anyway. So he, he took an interest. He went, what is going on with you? Why are you so upset today? What's going on? And I told him that I built this film. It's all ready to go. I showed him the budget. I showed him like what I'd written on some A4 about what the schedule would be or what the story is. And I said, it literally won't cost more than 14,000 pounds. And uh, he was like, whoa, okay. And then he just went quiet. And I thought, oh, he's just embarrassed for me, you know. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, and then he, uh, and then he went, okay, don't, don't, don't take this as gospel right now. He said, but I've just come into some money. And obviously in my head just goes up and just like, what is this now? Is this a joke? Is he going to be like, you know, be horrible here? But he was deadly serious and he just kind of went, let me go away and think about it overnight. But some of some shares he took out in a company had, had, had gone up massively in value. And, uh, and so he said, give me a few days and I'll let you know if I'm going to fund your film. And uh, yeah, just, just one of those moments where you, it is this manifesting situation, isn't it? Where you build it. Now, sometimes it doesn't work like that, obviously, where you actually, mm-hmm. you know, a, a John Rennie doesn't turn up and sit near you uh, on that day and, and you tell him your story and he says, yes, you know, nine times out of 10, nobody wants to help you because um, they want to do similar things and can't. So, you know, but this was one of those moments where I think I generated enough uh, energy <laughs> around what was going on for him to feel, you know, feel it. He, he felt that it was an important thing to do. And it, it, yeah, it only took him, he just went home and thought about that night and the next day he's like, we're, we're making the film. I guess it's uh, right place at right time. Sorry, go on, Craig. No, I was going to say that's super interesting. Yeah, because yes, it is right place, right time. But if you didn't have the cast or if yeah. you didn't have the sort of, you know, uh, the story outlined at that moment, et cetera, if you didn't have uh, the schedule in place and location ideas, et cetera, then he may not have invested. So, so it's, it, it's you know, also you... Culturally, cult, you know, cultivating relationships as well, because John yeah. knew loads of people that had worked with me. And uh, and he knew my editing background. I mean, I was doing I was assistant editing on this on this film, Regend. I think there's so it wasn't just you know some moment out of the blue. It there was mm-hmm. a lot of there was a lot of things that came together at the, the right time. But but the, the right the kind of you know that right place at the right time thing is that you put yourself in that situation though because you 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 know you were doing something that perhaps you didn't want to be doing at the time, but it still put you in that ecosystem of the industry. You were able to like pull on things. That's the important thing, I think, actually, is any time I've actually gone and done any kind of job, and I still do it, any kind of job where I feel like, well, this is a job I would do years ago, not now. I always remind myself that the more you can put yourself out there, uh, then, you know, people, storytelling, it's all about sharing experiences and what you're currently up to and doing. And you never know the situation of the person that you're speaking to. Yeah, you never know who you work with and what they end up doing and who will see it, et cetera. So, I mean, yeah. I would say that, yeah, the, the, the traditional route of going is as, you know, haphazard as that situation. It always depends on who's putting the project together. Are they the right people that they want to work with at the time? Who's now heading up the, the committee on that day that chooses the projects they want to move forward with? Have they had a good day, a bad day? What are they looking mm-hmm. for in their life? You know, so... There's a lot. All you can do is be prepared, I think. And that's what I made sure at that point that I was. So, okay, this is great. So 
one really interesting thing about this is that you, uh, you know, you were still a young man, but you also had extreme responsibilities, married, kids, etc. Presumably, obviously, a house, etc. So you're in this situation where a lot of people would feel less able, uh, they would definitely feel less able to be able to kind of jump in and make those sort of the, uh, unpredictable sort of moves, movements forward in what feels like, although you're in the industry, what feels like a very new part of the industry for you to kind of like create your own feature films. Yeah. So, um, and what's also super interesting is that obviously your wife said, well, you need to make commercial films then let's move away <laughs> from our house, you know, et cetera. So, and uh, because then you can bring in a wage from this, right? Mm. Yeah. So then, okay. So great. So you've you've made you made your first feature, and uh, and it's uh, I definitely want to delve into a little bit. We'll talk about uh, other features, but we'll um uh, about how you sort of are approaching cast because you mentioned that you're shy, but to me it also sounds like you're picking up the phone, talking to, you know, picking up you know Facebook messages and just randomly reaching out to people, which doesn't sound shy at all. So yeah. I'd love to sort of delve into that and how you're able to sort of overcome that shy feeling then, because I think a lot of people are in that same boat. Oh, well, I got over that very quickly in, uh, early on. Do you remember, I don't know if anyone remembers, at school you'd have to do work experience for two weeks um, when you were 14 or 15, and most of the kids were like, oh, I'll just go and work at my uncle's store or whatever, and I was, I was always being ambitious, and I was like, no, I'm, I'm going to go and do something to do with film and TV. What can I do? And I saw that BBC Wales were making a show called Satellite City that Boyd Clack um, had written and was a... a, a kind of a big sitcom in Wales at the time and I just rang at BBC Wales every moment I could when I got home from school just kind of I didn't know who I needed to speak to there wasn't as much information as there is now I mean now there's so much information to be able to get to people mm -hmm. but there just wasn't and but I just kept ringing and just saying look I need to speak to somebody who works on Satellite City because I need to have work experience in a couple of weeks there and uh, and I think it was like the third or fourth day I cried on the phone it's a lot of crying. There's, there's definitely there. there's a, a link theme. here. There's a theme, there's about, a theme crying. Here about crying but and getting. <laughs> it's it's passion, you know. It's passion. <laughs> it's not. It's yeah, not like passion. oh, woe me, you know. It's like <laughs> it's like I this I need to do this, you know. If 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 you don't, if you don't have the passion, you know that you need to do this, then don't do it because it's an absolute nightmare. It, there's so many things that you that are going to be you know stood in your way. It's it's uh, you know it's it's a real lifestyle choice and you know, you've got to be passionate about, about being a filmmaker. Mm -hmm. So uh, at that early point, I thought I was, I thought that was it. I thought I, if I didn't get on to Satellite City, then I wasn't going to be able to get into this industry. I didn't know anybody in the industry. Um, and then this one person went, hold on a minute. And they, they went away, came back. They said, when do you need to come in? And I told them when they went, you can come in for five days. And so I went in, yeah. I went in, I took my camera with me. I had, a, I had this beaten up uh, sort of, um, I can't remember what they call it in a high eight camera. And I didn't even know what I was meant to do or not meant to do or allowed to do, but I just started filming them at work as if that was completely fine. And, uh, and they <laughs> the, were like, this, the original were like, big brother. Here it is. Like, yeah. They were like, this, this kid is different, you know? And, um, and but they, they love, love boy clap, loved that. And then he came over to me and said, what are you doing? Then? And I told him and he's like, God, my, my niece is up to go to the hairdressers for a work experience. How have you got this? This is my show, you know? And then um, next thing I know, he's like, you can stay as long as you want. Would you need two weeks? That's fine. You know, and, and I, it was fantastic. But that, but that was an, another early indicator to me that if, you, if you're not passionate enough, no matter whether you're shy or extroverted or whatever it is, 
you have to pick up the phone. You have to send messages to tell people. No yeah. one's going to guess or give you something. You have to fight for it. Um, and you have, so you have to know what you want and you have to be clever about, you know, the way in which you go to, you go about it. And there's much different ways of going about it now, of course, but that was the only option I could see back then. So in terms of um, your filmography, obviously you've made loads of great films, but a bit, it felt like a, a turning point for you was Black Mountain Poets, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's very evident. There's a lot of improvisation, of course. Um, there's uh, it's, uh, But obviously there's this whole story. So it's, it's interesting how you're able to sort of gel a concise story, but then also through a lot of improvised work. So how does how does that come into play? I think? think just for everybody to get a sense of how it looks, how it looks, it's very Dogma ninety five. I don't know if that means anything to anyone. It's ve- it's very much the the mini DV situation. But at this point, um, the Canon five D Mark three uh, was out, mm-hmm. and we my DOP and I had noticed. He, I mean, he's a bit of a genius, to be honest with you, and he was able to get the best out of that that camera. And we'd already done a film on that camera. Actually, we had two films. It was Benny and Jolene, A Wonderful Christmas Time, and then Black Mountain Post. And they were all shot on the Canon 5D Mark III. And he had like a different lenses that he was able to somehow attach to the to the camera that weren't necessarily created for that camera. And um, so we did, and we had a shoulder mount. We did everything we possibly could for it to to do what we needed it to do in terms of the you know the aspect ratio and the quality of it. Um, but it's still very Dogma 95, really. Uh, but what had happened is, is Benny and Jolene was meant to be, there's a, a director called Robert Rodriguez who made a film called El Mariachi back when I was young. And, he, and there was a book called Rebel Without a Crew. Um, that was my Bible. And it was all about just uh, getting out there with the resources that you had and creating something. And so, yeah, so he, essentially it was just about kind of do, creating Benny and Jolene to show the industry what we could do with £14,000 in five days. That was the idea. Uh, and then, of course, the master plan was they would give us the money to go and make Desperado, you know, so, which is which is what Robert Rodriguez did. Uh, he sold El Mariachi to beer, and then they give him, you know, £20 million to go do Desperado. That didn't happen. What happened instead is we're at a time in the British film industry where they watched Benny and Jolene and what we'd done with it. And to be honest, it is a sequence of very funny sketches. It didn't really play as an overarching uh, sort of narrative. Um, I mean, Craig and Charlotte did their absolute best. Um, but it, the way we, we learned a lot on Benny and Jolene, and I watched it and I'm very proud of it. But I was like, it really does feel like, you know, a, a group of sketches. So I was expecting uh, distributors to go, this is great. You're obviously, you know, got the talent to be able to, to go and tell a story in a feature length. Let's do that. Let's help you do that. But instead what happened is they all just fell in love with the film and the endeavor and wanted to put it out. So we had, in the end, we had three distributors that, that wanted to find a, 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 you know, come up with a deal that would work for everybody that would get it out into theaters and, and uh, DVD and so on when DVDs were still being bought just about. Um, which I found, it blew my mind, really, because I, I knew, you know, it's that old thing, isn't it? Why aren't people making their debut films? And generally speaking, a lot of the time is the fear that you haven't got the resources to be able to fully realise the story that you want to tell. 
So you don't make that debut feature film because you're mm-hmm. waiting and waiting and waiting and working and working and working to, to get to them. I need five million. It needs to be exactly as I am have storyboarded it, all that kind of stuff. And so you don't make the you don't make the film. So this fear was starting to manifest itself in me because it was meant to be a calling card, not a released film. Um, but Verve were a great distributor. They they distributed a film by Mark Evans and a, and a film by uh, who's Kelly and Victor Craig. Who's the guy who did Kelly and Victor? Kieran. Oh, uh, yeah, Kieran. Oh Kieran God. Evans. Anyway, a lot of Evans is. We should know that name. So, <laughs> I think I think it was Kieran Evans. Anyway, whatever. so th- th- they'd released some great. Uh, films from Welsh filmmakers and I was like right if we're going to be in there with them then let's do that that'll be uh, of course that's amazing it's a great outcome for the film they didn't buy it by the way they they did a deal where they would spend about 20,000 on marketing uh, and obviously on I mean other money to be able to uh, you know create the DVDs and so on but uh, that was still more than we paid for making the film so I it was it seemed fair um and so, and so they did it and they put it on at Loco Comedy Film Festival in front of a sold out NFT one. And I remember just standing there just going, I don't understand how this film has got this far, but still just going for the ride. Um, and then after that, that gave us, the, it gave us the, the, the courage to be able to go and make a Christmas film. The, the chap who invested in Benny and Joey and could see how with this deal, he was going to make, you know, three times what he paid for the for the film so he was like what else have you got and i convinced him at that point that it was a trilogy that there was a welsh there was a christmas film and then there was a film set in new york and that he he believed me uh i was making up on the spot um and and it just seemed to work and so that's what he said we could do and so i knew then we had the opportunity to progress this process for another you know two films um and so I think with a wonderful Christmas time, we, we were a bit more experimental in terms of in terms of the way we shot it. it we, we used two cameras for a lot of it. Um, it was in one location rather than multiple locations. Uh, I mean, there's lots of other various things that we did with it, but I mean, specifically the the distribution and exhibition of that one was we tried to do what people were doing with self distribution and so on, and discovered that it's nonsense. Really, uh, you still need sales agents and distributors uh, to be able to to reach, you know, if you want a, a good return or any kind of return, you know, that's valuable, then, then it's, it's through sales agents and distributors. But it was a good exercise. And of course, over the years, it's a Christmas film, so it has made its money back. But anyway, that was very much an interesting moment to be able to like consolidate what we took from Benny and Jolene and, and try to do a bit differently there. Um, and then with Black Mountain Poets, by the way, the budgets went from 14 to 22, and then I think uh, Black Mountain Poets was now 33,000. Um, because the experience the producer had had with distributors now and, and recognizing how much money can be made. Um, for an example, if you sell your film to any lower level American distributor, you, you're still gonna look at getting about $50,000 as a minimum guarantee. So as you know, you're, if you're making a film for 25 or 33 and you believe it's going to, you know, you just need to tell a story well. It doesn't have to be an incredible story. It just needs to be told well and have to have a, a gimmick like a Christmas or, you know, any kind of seasonal thing, uh, you know, a horror in terms of genre or, or thriller. 
then you invariably are, if you can tell a story in, in a feature length, then you're going to get a £50,000 deal. You can be pretty sure of that um, with the amount of American distributors that exist. So we knew we weren't really taking much of any, uh, there was, you know, it's not much of a gamble. Um, but with that third one, I wanted to make sure that if that is the last film we make, that we, he kept talking about making sure that I thought about audience more. Um, and then that led me to wondering why we were going to New York when, when <laughs> it's really quite silly, but it's how these things work, isn't it? I took my kids to the Allen Ginsberg uh, Museum um, sort of exhibition and he'd written a poem about the Black Mountains of Wales and they're only an hour and a half away from me and I've never been to any, you know, to any of the Black Mountains across Wales. So I was like, that's ridiculous how an American think that they could know what it is to be Welsh and what the Black Mountains mean and, and, and I'm going to New York, I should be going to the Black Mountains. So we went up into the Black Mountains and... Um, and it just came together. Poetry seemed to be in the air. <laughs> they weren't meant to be poets. Um, and that's creatively how it, how it came together. And uh, as I said, in terms, of, in terms of the money, that he, he, already knew, he already knew that he was going to get his money back. So he was quite happy with that. But what we, what we were able to do, and Craig, I think this is where I was getting to, is you were saying about story. Yes, commercial story. I, 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 I made sure there was a plot this time. I really made sure that I wasn't just doing a character study or a relationship comedy that this one really did have a plot that you that uh, you know my sister would follow. I'd say my sister; she's nothing to do with film or television. She's literally just somebody who enjoys watching um, television or, or, or you know films on the uh, home. So she loves that film because it. She feels she's following mm -hmm. the plot. The plot. Um, <laughs> it's a very flawed plot. I find it very funny actually. But anyway, um, so we made sure that that happened, and then that that then led us to where the, we wanted to get to, which is to South by Southwest. Um, and that's what it achieved for us. And of course, once you get to a festival in America, like South by Southwest or Tribeca, I mean, forget Sundance, that's a closed shop. That's very cliquey. It's almost impossible nowadays. But South by Southwest, Slamdance, I would say now, and uh, Tribeca, they're your main ones um, for indie filmmakers and... Yeah, we opened up audiences across America, and that's where our first American deal, you know, came from. And LFF, London Film Festival, which you now have a film at. I mean, yeah, we're talking a long <laughs> process down there. <laughs> I mean, I mean, what I what I basically made sure we did was uh, was that you trying to wrap up? That's great. What we made sure we did was um, was include Americans in the films from then on. I think you learn politically that if you want. Uh, if you want American sales, if you want any, you know, if you just in general, cinema isn't, you know, mainly for independent filmmakers, it works much better in America than it does here. So we then started to try and reach out. You keep building, you know, and so now we had South by and Biffa nomination. We called uh, upon people like Kobe Smulders and Jemima Kirk, who had no right coming to Cornwall and Wales for five days to do an improv film for no money. This is, yeah, this is, this is pretty amazing because it's almost like you have 
you really delved into the business of show as as opposed to the opposite so you've you've really sort of crafted your creative works around what is commercial around what can get uh, capital about what it will sell you know you've you've kept budgets constraints so you could definitely hit that 50k marker for distributors and this is like it's it's very entrepreneurial i feel it's very much business minded and it's about sort of the end product and, and stepping up each rung of the ladder it feels like I've, i think a lot of I know I certainly am um, uh, suspect of this as well, but I know I, I feel like a lot of creatives, uh, certainly uh, if, if they're writers, they, they 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 get stuck on their vision and it needs to be done a certain way and it needs to have a certain budget. And it feels like you, especially because of your, your editing background coming into this and knowing just how much you can manipulate a story in the edit and that leading you down the path of improvised uh, work as opposed to necessarily scripted, um, it's it's allowed you to then sort of have the courage to kind of go in and kind of create this first feature. And, uh, and then with the family, it almost feels, I, I believe this to be true generally anyway, is that when people, the more constraints people have, sometimes the more, creative they can become because of these constraints when everything's an option then uh, then nothing happens whereas when you've got these constraints then uh, you led down a specific path and you're as creative in that path as possible so i feel like all of this kind of i think there's a lot of value there for a lot of people here certainly in the, as film members i feel like there's a lot of people who are going to be going yes but i don't have the budget and and you're kind of talking your way through this you're saying well okay well if you've got a great film that you believe in that's uh, and you create a feature like film and it has a sort of you know a plot uh, then you, and you make it within the, under the 50k and you can be quite confident that you can a, a, approach distributors and you can sort of get that figure so anything close to 14k seems, seems like a really reasonable deal there and i think that's really valuable but then also just overcoming this idea of being able to actually go out create work move forward with it get stories sort of in the can as it were and uh and move the move the needle it's uh not waiting for the phone to ring picking up getting on the phone to you know different actors and approaching them and getting over shyness and this is like this is pretty much every single hurdle that we all have to go through as filmmakers i feel no matter what sort of hrd or you know whatever wherever you are in the yeah in the i think what i want to say craig is that then john rennie you know he he's he doesn't want to continue at that point so okay. i was lucky with john he had the 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 money from the shares and he was able to invest because you know he he doesn't have a family and he's all about um telling stories through his animation company so he wasn't enjoying being a, a producer on on these on these feature films it, it wasn't for him so i then uh went into the traditional route i went into bfi with um a great um, 70s producer called margaret matheson so i quickly realized that my way of working as a working class person with no money behind me, with a family, doesn't work in that system because you have to be prepared to wait around in the line for at least two years minimum. You know, we're talking really three to four years. Um, and, and it just wasn't possible. And, I, you know, so at that point I panicked and I went, well, what did I used to do? And I was like, oh, I pick up the phone. I, I, I send emails. I, I look around and I go, who, who is making films that seem to be outside of that uh, system that perceived to be the system you have to go down? Who is making independent films and, and have they had a success? So you then go through IMDb Pro, you look at every, what's been made, 
you, you do the research on, oh, Fisherman's Friends made 20 million. That, and that didn't, you know, they must have shot that for five, which means they're making money. And you know that that 20 million you're seeing means they're making more money than that because you don't see all the money that they're making uh, in these figures. And so you go, right, I'm sending emails to these people. How do I get their emails? How do I do this? And of course you have your treatment. Don't make it long. No one's got time to read 15 pages. It's, it's, it's four pages maximum. Make it as colorful and as genre-based as you possibly can. Obviously, again, research. What films are they making? What films do they like to make? You know, you can't, mm-hmm. not, it's not about you. It's not about what you want to make immediately. It's about what are people making? What do they enjoy? I mean, there's, there's, I, there's five producers I know that are always looking for horrors. Always. They love horror. And they know they can make horror for as little as like 60,000 to like a million. They're, they're, they're happy to go anywhere in between there um, because they know where they're going to sell these films, depending on, you know, do we need a profiling name? Well, not if we're making it, not if you're making a horror for 60 or 100,000, you don't need a profiling name. If you're going into the 300,000 bracket plus, you're going to need, you are going to need a Jemima Kirk or a Kobe Smulders or, or whoever it is. Um, and so you make sure you have that before you approach uh, these people with money, right? So if you're fisherman friends, people, then you go, right, well, I've got Kobe Smulders. I've got this horror idea and I think is unique. That's the creative part. <laughs> and, then, and then you've got a package that you're sending them that they're going to be like, well, this is all ready to go. Well, I've got the money in the bank. Let's go, you know. And, and that's what I've made sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, immediately with Songbird, which is the idea I came up with quite, we moved to Cornwall. Uh, again, it's about what's around you. So it's just been about what, being aware of what's around you in terms of locations mainly, but also it's inspiration. Um, there was, I, was back, I found myself back at university and you do, in a university environment and I felt really old. And I was like, I want to write about that, what it is to be somebody who, and, I, and I'm always fascinated with Britpop because that was all my generation. So I was like, what is it about, what, what could it be about a Britpop star who now realizes they 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 have to find different work they they their band is over then they're not making money so they go back they go to university because they think that university is all about you know drinking and parties and whatever else so i thought it was a fun idea and it turns out kobe smulders thought it was a fun idea she'd just done jack reacher 2 i send her this idea very basic two pages um just outlining what we're going to do in five days we're improvising obviously by this point we have this is what I'm about building. At this point, we have those films. I can show her clips from those films. I can, yeah. we've got different nominated. We went to South by. So she's like, I can do a decent movie in Cornwall, which to her is like, you know, the South of France is like the most fun thing <laughs> she can think of doing. Uh, in five days, I'm going to be, be away from my family for literally a week. And I get to be a major collaborative part of making this fun film. She does, she's not thinking, is it going to be great? She doesn't care at that point. She's just like, the experience of it is going to be something she will never have. Uh, so it's about making yourself different. Uh, you know, make, what is it about you and your films? What is it that people, you know, can see that isn't, that somebody else is doing, that, that, uh, that is interesting? Make yourself interesting, I guess is what I'm saying. Jamie, let me ask you, we should open it up um, to people so, that, you know, uh, people can ask me questions if they want. But before that... Um, you've remained very strong, certainly with like vision and your process and your practice and absolutely everything. Um, there's a movie, I'm not sure where this falls in your filmography, but Balance Not Symmetry, where you've got a much bigger budget to mm-hmm. make to make this movie. What were the challenges of that? And 
I suppose, uh, yeah, how how testing was that with the idea of this traditional way potentially coming into into your space of like, yeah, go on, sorry. Nothing to add. Um, yeah, no, it's a balance not symmetry is an interesting one. I mean, essentially for me, it did it did change the process did change because it was something that came out of me wanting to work with Biffy Clyro, the band Biffy Clyro, and uh there was lots of things personally that were going on um that led me to not really think of film it led me to think of music and biffy clyro uh, i've always turned to them in times of emotional stress and i think what happened there again it's like going to the mountains and feeling like this is where we need to do this this was about them and their music and so i wanted to create something with them and typically of me there's no safety net it is simply let's start building it and see where it goes. So in that sense, it was very much still following the same kind of process. So it was, I spoke to them, we came up with a uh, story that we were happy with. Um, I then pitched that to Dakota Fanning and, because uh, by now, of course, it is through agents and agents at this point have taken me seriously because of the work that I've, I've done and the way in which they've, being received because by Bounce Not Symmetry, we'd, we'd gone to South by again uh, with Jemima Kirk and Walton Pie. So there's, you know, there's a building thing going on. And the financier that came in on that one financed Walton Pie and she was Scottish. And so she really liked the idea of what is she getting? She's getting a Biffy Clyro album, you know, at least a percentage of that, turned out to be quite a big percentage. And then uh, a, a film. Um, that she knows again because of who's involved the type of cast we had to have obviously as well was a Dakota, Dakota Fanning sort of level so I think the casting changed slightly the process of that um, in terms of not really much else really to be honest with you you build your budget the budget building was the same you always have your ideal budget you have your middle budget and, and <laughs> the one that's most likely to happen which is you know your lowest budget um, so you make sure you're prepared, you know, you've, you've got your different levels and no one can tell you you're not, you haven't got enough money. You're like, well, actually, I've got a budget here that proves we can do this for, say, 500,000, whereas the A budget says we need one and a half million. I think it fell somewhere in between uh, the making of the album and the film. And we shot for three weeks instead of one. And uh, we had way more crew and annoyingly um, way more uh, structural things that you would normally find on a formal set. So I'm talking about vehicles and trailers and all these things that pain me um, to, because it, it, it's not conducive to the process. So actually, <laughs> Balance Not Symmetry became uh, a real, it was never one of those massive learning moments where it was like, well, just like I was doing when I did my student films, it was like, well, what can I take from this that will actually help me express myself? I, I, you keep learning. I did exactly the same thing on balance on symmetry. I found so many parts of that process that I didn't uh, want to be involved with or in or a part of. I felt very alone, even though I'm working with crew that I work with on plenty of their films. So it was a fascinating, invaluable learning experience with balance on symmetry. Um, but yeah, but there were, there were definite, there was a definite shift in terms of trying to make this process work on a bigger scale. And I think that was a really, you know, you could keep testing yourself, doesn't it? You know, keep, keep learning.
Right. Well, you have given us so much value. You, you, you want, you're making me want to write scriptments. That's right. <laughs> I kind of want to write, end the call quick, everybody. I want to write a script. <laughs> <laughs> it's so amazing. And, uh, and it is, it, it's, it's really inspiring, I think, just to see how one film can just launch you in a career, I think. And it was a film that you just was like, right, I'm going to put this together. I'm going to make phone calls. And then somebody else sort of paid for it. And so like you said, and you got a family and kids and you're shy. And it's just like, it's, uh, I think it's, it's, it should be really inspiring for a lot of people who are listening and watching this, I think. And it certainly is for me. Uh, so <laughs> this is really, really good. Um Let's uh, let's open it up then. Uh, so if anybody's got a question, uh, you can raise your digital hand and uh, you do that by going to the reactions tab, I believe. Yeah. And then raise hand. So if you want to do that and then I can just sort of. Uh, oh, Karen and Amy, uh, regulars on the uh, on the questions. Great. Thank you. <laughs> and David as well. But perfect. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, let's go through it. So uh, let's bring on Karen. Do you want to sort of. Um, uh yeah remove your yeah um thanks for having me um do you think that um production has changed a lot since you started and do you think all of that that you described is still relevant today because the industry has changed so much and um you have so much competition now and everybody's shooting films so is it possible to how can I describe it? To just email people now, or did it change so much that now you have to do something entirely else? Yeah, no, it's a good question. Because I'm I'm like you, I'm still within that system. Um I I don't think it's changed in terms of you know, back when I fought for work experience as a 14-year-old, you're you're picking up a phone then and you're trying to figure out who you meant to speak to and you're showing passion, right? And I think that then as the years go on and it changes from email when that first started being a way of contacting people and then it changed to Facebook Messenger. Uh, well, it was just Facebook at the time. And then Twitter and Instagram and so on. There's just more ways of reaching out to people now. And I think that that, for me anyway, means that you need to be a little bit more savvy with, with who you're approaching uh, and in what way you're approaching them. Um, it, is, it is very much about uh, having that entrepreneurial kind of head of putting the, the, the filmmaker, the creative filmmaker to one side and, and kind of going, okay, who am I reaching out to? What is it that I would like them to help with? Um, and a lot of times when you reach out to people, it shouldn't be about the thing that you want you know, it should be about cultivating a conversation. So it's about saying something about their work. You know, it's about saying something about their um, filmography or whatever it is they do. You know, I did it the other day. I can't remember the chap's name now, but uh, he founded a website. <laughs> I've totally forgot the names of everything. But anyway, he's a, he's a very popular website uh, that people put, uh, that they, they commission... Uh, these short films. Does anyone help me out here? Do anyone know what that's called? It's not paste, is it? What's? I can't remember what it's called. Anyway, whatever. It's it, it's it's a very popular one, and I I'm nothing to do with that world. But I just found him on Instagram and just sent him a message just saying it's incredible what you've achieved. Um, 
And I'd love to have a chat about that one day if you've got any time. And then, so you're not asking them for anything, you know, and, uh, and then you can just start having a chat and you'll know if they, if they want to be interested in you and what you're doing. And then that's your moment to, to pitch in, in a very informal way, how they might be able to help you with, with whatever it is that you want to do creatively. Um, so I think it's always been, I mean, at university and we're talking 21 years ago for me now, we were told that somebody got the job um, because they wrote their CV on a, on toilet paper. And I thought that was hideous. What a stupid idea. But actually what they were trying to teach us was that the more you can stand out, uh, you know, and, and it depends obviously who your audience is. It, it, that's not going to work for, for bankers, but for if it's, you know, for an arts grant or, or an arts job or whatever, then I suppose that is an interesting thing that's going to make people remember you. Um, I think the same thing still applies, really. I, I, and it's not harder. It's, it's easier, in fact, in terms of you can you can get hold of many people's contacts nowadays very quickly after doing a day's research. Um, yeah, and, and so and, and learn about more about what they're doing very quickly as well. So everything is just quicker. And I think it's about stepping back and going, OK, what is it I really want? Uh, how why do I want to reach out to this person? And it can't. It never can be. I need this from you. It can never be that. It has to be a real interest in them collaborating with you, even as, even if they're a financier and all you really want is their money. Great. Uh, yeah, Amy, do you want to jump on? Hi, um, I'm on headphones. Can you hear me all right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, okay, great. You might have now just answered my question, but if I phrase <laughs> it differently, then <laughs> maybe Something it'll else might come I don't out. Know. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, so again, I was like scribbling notes as we went through. So forgive me reading off my phone. Um, and I know that you did just say, you know, you mentioned reaching out in a generic way as opposed to, hi, I'm making this film. It's about this. Please, can you help yeah. us in this way? Um, that's actually the one thing that I've not explicitly tried yet, because what I was going to say was we talked a lot about both features and how you did this in the noughties. But getting and it is naughty, by the way, you were right. Um, I got told off my daughters the other day for saying that. That's why I oh, got really? worried. They're, they're teenagers. <laughs> no, and they were like, you definitely can't call a decade naughty. And I was like, well. <laughs> With an O, not an A. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, yeah, we mentioned how, you know, that advice applies to features and then what you did in the noughties. Um, yeah. But getting financial support from brands, like you mentioned, nowadays seems quite impossible, I've found. Mm. Aside, so aside from crowdfunding and things like BFI, which only have small windows throughout the year, how can filmmakers on a short film scale, you know, not features where you don't get that huge return if it's successful, you know, that sort of thing, how can filmmakers actually make stuff? So... I'm fortunate enough to work with a production company that does everything in-house. They have all their own kit. They are editors, you know, directors, DOP. So it's great. But, you know, we still want to do things like, you know, for example, a short that we've now moved to the new year because we couldn't get funding this time around. So we've now put it into the new year. Yeah. We want to do things like hire a prop police car and then pay for locations and stuff. So all of that still costs, even if everything else is getting done in-house for free. Mm -hmm. And I really am someone who you know, turns up on doorsteps and like you said, just phones people and hopes for the best. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I did that literally three days ago, but I'm just, yeah, I'm sort of now without being in the right place at the right time, as much as I hate that phrase with like crowdfunding, obviously we're in a cost of living crisis and no one's going to want to donate to a short film. Um, mm. 
and like I say, you know, we can't, I, I think nowadays you can't approach people like Top Man or something, or you're not going to get much other than just, yeah, advertise our stuff. The only thing I've not tried is, like you say, the sort of generic approach, like, hi, you look cool. <laughs> some time i don't know that's literally the only thing i've not tried so i just basically wanted to pick your brains yeah what else can i, I do i mean let me clarify i wouldn't say messages going hi you're cool no i don't <laughs> i mean generally they're more you know kind of your work seems really great yeah. and how do you you know how do you go about doing what you do sort of thing it's mm-hmm. more about being interested in them as an artist yeah uh, or, or whatever um i don't i don't know if there's an answer to that really because even back when I was making short films, they were like made for fifty pound or hundred pound or whatever it is I had in right. my pocket. They weren't for me. Filmmaking is about uh, breaking down the barriers. So it sounds the the police car thing and having a very specific uh, idea, a vision for that idea. That's always when it gets very complicated. Yeah, because at that point you're not thinking about things that you. That, are, that you have that that your friends have or yeah so you're not thinking about you know so then then they are obstacles yeah and, which is and, what we usually do they're usually it's usually quite you know what can we make with just us and that was like our way of going you know we've done that for years now let's try and really make yeah, something I, I mean what do you do with your short films festivals right yeah no i i i've, I've never apart from the practice of it apart from mm. the practice of uh storytelling a short film i'm I, I i i started to give up on them in terms of i mean it was easier for me because web series became a thing which is obviously a sequence of short films and and it was about you can make the short films as you would normally do but now it was episodic and so you know there was a, a, a you could tell a longer story so people then start to take you seriously as a feature filmmaker because you're telling a story that is over a, you know along if you put all those episodes together um, and they were popular. It was it was a new thing that people wanted to to engage with. Um, I w- I would say to you to to keep making things that you know you're going to be able to make. Yeah, which is what, what we've resorted to doing this side of that's Christmas. What, that's what I, that's what, I <laughs> that's what every filmmaker does. It doesn't matter who you are or what level. Yeah, you, you're always having to go. Well, what what do I have, mm-hmm. and what can I do with that? Does it have to be a police car? You know, I was thinking a, about that today, but yeah, it's, it's always you've always <laughs> got to think of. Vehicle, yeah. I think I think any any uh, hurdle is something that leads to um, better ideas. I think. Right. Uh, I mean, maybe I have to think that because I'm poor and and <laughs> have to believe in what you're making. But generally, and also, I would just start writing a feature film and go and make a feature film. You know, yeah. there's a market for feature films. I've seen I've seen some feature films that are not very good and they mm-hmm. still get picked up and and released. So, uh, you know, the, the making the short films is great uh, to maybe start exploring an idea. But as they always were, they were always really a stepping stone to what is this idea? How do I make this, you know, on a as a feature film? Because the feature films is where is where the the business works. And obviously, you know, it is a it is a it's a very important part of what we do because there's no films without the money. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Uh David, why don't you jump on? Hey, thanks for doing this, guys. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Can, yes. Um 
That's a perfect segue, really. It's about what I'm, I'm about to ask, really, is like I've literally done loads of shorts now, been ready to do a feature for a while. I've written like five feature scripts, but they they, you know, need a little bit more money than I can probably get my hands on. So I, over the last six months, I wrote a micro feature, uh, a horror, uh, because my short's been doing quite well on the festival circuit. And like you were just saying, like once you've done quite a few shorts, you might as well do a feature because they can sell. Um, so I'm at the point now where I've got like 15K raised and I've designed the scripts, you know, for a couple of characters, few locations. Uh, but there's like two routes I could see, which is to try and go for big names because the bigger the name, obviously, the more it's going to sell. Or I could do the more low budget version, get a couple of actors that I know could do a good job, but would it, you know, would it sort of reach as many people? Because I've just been meeting up with a lot of filmmakers, getting advice, and it keeps mm. coming up, trying to get a name attached. And, um, yeah, so just any advice, really, that um, yeah. you've got, yeah. just, yeah, what would you do? Uh, well, it's a horror. That's a good start. Um, and there are people out there, do the IMDb Pro thing, look through who's been making horrors in the last 10 years, look at who's consistently doing that, um, look who's working on those. And when I say it's normally looking at producers, it can be looking at, uh, there, there might be a few exec producers, normally they don't like to show themselves. Um, but do as much research as you can in terms of who is out there in, in the UK making uh, horrors. Jonathan's, Jonathan Southcott is a good place to start. Um, and he's got loads of buddies that, that, that make low-budget uh, horrors. Um, the thing... What, the sorry, thing, what was that name again? Yeah, not, not saying it twice. Okay. It will be on, I'm joking. It's, it's Jonathan, <laughs> Jonathan Southcott. Thank um, you. That's no worries. Um, but yeah, he, you know, that just, I only know that because I went and looked at what this Welsh chap, um, he was making, you know, two or three horror films a year and he had people like, uh, is his name Robert Eklund? The guy who was Freddy Krueger. Robert England. Right, there we go. So he came over to do one of them uh, and he was doing essentially what I do, which is, you know, if you look at anything that can make your film cult, you know, so the, and, mm. and these actors generally now aren't really working too much. They're doing, they're earning money doing other things like, you know, conventions and so yeah. on the idea of if you can fly them over and, and 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 work with them for a week or two they're 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 happy generally the shorter the better you know yeah. if your if your idea has to be shot in two three weeks over two three weeks then maybe tell them that they're only needed for five days or whatever it is but they're you know they're a, they're a good part of it um and i think because you don't there's a middle ground between the shooting a film with your friends and shooting a film with A-listers, mm. there's like a whole spectrum of people that, so for Benny and Jolene, the idea of having uh, Charlotte Ritchie from Fresh Meat was the first thing I could think of because it was a popular show on television. I felt like, well, like as I said, I knew uh, what a friend of hers from, from college or whatever, but I didn't know that connection existed actually. I just knew that she was in a popular show on TV and I thought she was good. And I was like, well, how do I build a film around her? I, I'm pretty sure I can get to her somehow. Because I just had these 
you know, the web series had led to interactions with Jesse Armstrong. Not out of the blue, again, I'm sending Jesse Armstrong my web series. You know, I'm going, look at this. What do you think of this? I think it's like what, the comedy that you do and so on. So anything that you can do to make your horror something that, you know, a Charlotte Ritchie would be interested in. There's loads of television programs. It's funny now. you keep mentioning her name because it's someone who's definitely in mind as one of the characters. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have, the, the problem now is that she's too busy. So yeah, it's I, like, not you, Series like, 4, isn't so what, what you need to do is look at who is the Charlotte Ritchie of Fresh Meat now. Yeah. So somebody who has just been in the first series of something. Yeah. Um, or any of the any of the low budget films that have done well, um, you know, there's there's always actors who feel like they should be busy but they're not, and they really do want to meet new collaborators and work. And if all you can do is make sure they don't lose any money over that time and take home a couple hundred quid, you know, generally speaking, if they believe in the script, you know, then. Um, and and they like the idea of where it's shooting, then they'll do it, you know. So and do you think that's a good way? Because obviously doing my research, getting a name attached could potentially bring some funding in. Do you no, think not no. not at your level, not at that level. I say your level, it's my level as well. Not at that level. It's like it what it does is though, if you can go to a, a, a I shouldn't keep saying his name, but if you can go to any of these horror producers with a package, so you're going, look, it's it's my great idea that no one's ever had. Plus it's, but it, but by the way, though, it is like these great films that have made tons of money, but it's got this person in it. So it's validated because it's somebody that they would have seen somewhere doing something that isn't just you that they've never seen do anything. Then they go, well, it's, it's, it's valid. It's got that person in it. They're shooting, you know, close to where I live. Um, and it's not going to cost me much. And, it, you know, it's, it's, it's like those other films. So it's probably going to make its money back. Um, so just be realistic with what is the bare minimum you can make this film for and uh, do the research in terms of who would be a good fit uh, to produce it and, you know, who, who, who's around that might be interested in being in it. But also try and find ways of reaching out to them uh, and don't be worried about agents. Don't don't not go to an agent. But again, in the first instance, I wouldn't go to the agent asking about an actor. I would go to the agent just saying who you are and how you you're really impressed with their roster, and that you know you hope one day you might be able to work with such and such who's on their list, who's far down their list. Um, and then you're basically saying I'm interested in you, and you're they know then that means that you're you're doing research, that you're being smart about it. You're not just asking people for things as if they owe you it, you know, because no one owes anyone anything, especially... Jimmy, just, sorry, Jimmy, you do something really smart. Is when you talk to agents, you get them to suggest people that could be right for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's the thing that's happened a lot. Um, and, and genuinely, it's because it cuts out time. It's a time uh, hack because you, you can go after whoever, you know, whoever it is. But generally, if, if you're thinking of them, other people are thinking of them. And that means that there's a whole list of things they have to read a whole, you know, and it's just not going to, whereas the agent, they know who sat there waiting for a job. Yeah. You know, and then you've just got to figure out if, if, you know, it's very lovely. They've, they've offered these people, you just got to figure out not whether they're any good because genuinely uh, most actors on rosters are good. It's just about uh, will they be helpful for you in those 
chats with with financiers. Um, but again, at this level, it doesn't even need to be somebody that feels like their money. It just needs to be somebody that feels smart, mm. like that could break through in the next series of whatever it is that, that they're in. You know? Yeah. Cheers. I really appreciate that. Thanks. No worries. No worries, David. Good luck, son. Thanks. Well, uh, I think that about wraps it up. That's all the questions. Thank you, Karim, Amy, and David for those questions. Really appreciate it. And definitely thank you, Jamie Adams. <laughs> thank you. No worries. No, it's been great. It's been it's been fun. Thanks everyone for turning up. And hopefully there's something, you know, interesting in there. Yeah, there's been so yeah, it's been yeah, it's been absolutely amazing. Uh so much value. And uh yeah, I'm definitely gonna be going away and writing some scripts. So thank you very much. Um, can we can we all just can we all just agree that we're not all gonna go and send emails to Jonathan Southcott tonight? <laughs> can we can we, can we just kind of, can we just kind of like you know decide that you know some of us leave it till next week? I think that would be ideal. <laughs> okay, 50-50. Perfect. Thanks again, Jamie. Really appreciate your time and thanks everyone for for uh, coming. No worries, dude. Cheers, everyone. Thank you very much. Good evening, everyone. Cheers. Bye.